This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. One two to Farmer, swing and a miss to finish the ball game. Romano comes in and he strikes out the side of the ninth. The Blue Jays get a blue base hit from Alejandro Kirk and then a gift run in the eighth and post their eighth shutout win of the season with a three nothing win in Minnesota and take two or three from the Twins. You heard it there from Ben Wagner across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Jays finally pick up a series win. They're able to take two of three against the Minnesota Twins, including that victory, which you just heard with Jordan Romano coming in for the save. Now an off day for the Jays as they look to continue to battle in what's turning out to be a murderer's row in the AL East. The Jays with an off day today and then uh, back at it tomorrow. It's an important win for the Toronto Blue Jays and, uh, Look, things haven't been going great of late. Good for them to get the win. Seemed like a relief off of everybody's shoulders, but still lots to talk about with this team and very happy this afternoon uh, to chat all things Blue Jays with us as we head down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline. We welcome in Caitlin McGrath from The Athletic uh, covering MLB, most of Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, Caitlin, thanks for doing this this afternoon. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing really good, thanks. Uh, some takeaways for you from the weekend series for the Jays as they finally get a series win this time over Minnesota? Yeah, I mean, first is getting the series win, which obviously felt kind of needed after three straight series losses, all to American League East opponents. So it was good for them to, I think, obviously get the series win and that road trip and sort of 17 games in 17 days stretch on a winning note because, as you kind of alluded to, it has been a bit of a struggle for the Blue Jays. I thought that, you know, they were two pretty good wins, Um they pitched well with, uh, you know, not much margin for error. They got kind of those, like, big hits they needed in that moment. Um, you know, Bo and Kiermaier hitting the home runs on Friday and then obviously getting the blue hit from Kirk, which, you know, sometimes uh, a lot lately they haven't been getting those hits that score them the runs they need or they haven't been getting the, the shutdown pitching they need or whatever. They haven't been playing very sharp defensively. They've been making a lot of mistakes on the base pass. So some of that was cleaned up this series um still a long way to go for this team though one of the guys you mentioned there is somebody i wanted to talk to you about and that's alejandro kirk and it feels like his importance to this team skyrocketed as soon as danny jansen went on the il and i think it's kind of twofold with him caitlin because he hasn't exactly had the start offensively to the season that he was hoping for either yeah so you know like a glass half full view on it is that He's going to be getting in there more often, more plate appearances. Maybe he can get into a rhythm um, and maybe that sees the bat come around a little bit, you know, not so stop and start, you know, sitting and then starting the way that it was when Danny Jansen was in the mix. Obviously with Danny Jansen on the IL, Kirk is going to get the bulk of the starts just because he does know the pitching staff better. Tyler, Tyler Heineman is, familiar he was with the team a little bit last year but he's more of a traditional backup so you're probably only going to see him you start you know every few games basically so yeah it does 
kind of put um, some urgency on Kirk to get his bat going a little bit just because, you know, they needed it before, but they especially need it now that he is going to be the primary catcher for them for the next little bit. Do you get the sense, Caitlin, that there's a big level of, of change when it comes to comfortability with these Blue Jays pitchers, depending on who's behind the plate? Well, I think they're all pretty familiar with Jansen and Kirk. Um, I think that the Blue Jays are pretty streamlined in terms of their the way they prepare. So the catchers would know regardless who the pitcher is. Like they know kind of seamlessly how to prepare for each one, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, some some guys have been more comfortable with Danny Jansen this year. But like we looked at Brios, for example, he's been with Danny Jansen for most of the year, but Kirk caught him um, yesterday and he looked great against the twins. So, you know, I think that sometimes there are partnerships that work between pitcher and catcher and um, sometimes you stick with them, but, you know, ultimately the blue Jays are pretty, um, you know, on the same page when it comes to their game plans and it comes to getting the best out of their pitchers that I don't necessarily think it totally matters. Like Kirk and Jansen are preparing the same. Um, And so while Jansen's out, I think there's, Really no worries that Kirk can kind of take the torch and, and carry on the progress that all those uh, pitchers have made with Jansen. Uh, at this point in the season, Caitlin, what have you made of, of John Schneider and his first real tenure as this team's uh, manager? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously it's first first full season as a manager. There's going to be some bumps along the way for all managers and you know the moves always look good when you win and they look bad when you don't um and I think he's pretty aware of that I mean I I think that he's handled this rough period pretty well um there's an emphasis you know on the players to sort of figure it out or you know they had that players only meeting out there in Tampa and there is just a priority to, you know, get them going. It has to kind of start with them. And obviously the staff and manager is responsible for the team as well. But, you know, ultimately the players have to go out there and play their best and play sharp and do all the right things. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I think there's probably some growing pains for John Schneider, but I think, I think it's looked worse um, just lately because the team hasn't been winning and that's, you can probably say the same thing for every manager. Like, mm-hmm. you know, doesn't look great when you're not winning. Maybe this is too early to ask this question, but I'm curious Would you how you look at it now. Would you say that this team has gotten the sort of improvement from John Schneider to Charlie Montoya, or I guess the other way around, from Montoya to Schneider that they would have hoped for when they named John Schneider this full team, full-time manager, took that interim tag off him? Has there been that level of improvement that you think they would have hoped to have seen in the team? I mean, I, I don't know I don't know what John Schneider's record is um, to this point. I think it's a pretty healthy winning record, mm-hmm. even with this stretch right now. I know last year, um, after he took over, they they went on um, you know they had a strong finish to that year. It was a really strong start to this year in April, um, and then you know this month has just not been going well. And uh, I don't. It's hard to say if if it comes to the, the manager. I mean, it's. It's a difficult question for me to answer. I don't really know what to tell you. I mean, I think that the players are, they like John Schneider as the manager. They're happy with him. He's a good communicator. I think his strength is really communicating with the players, um, being really upfront with them. You know, I see him walking through the clubhouse every day, talking to players, you know, fist pumping players. You know, I've seen him at the guy's locker sitting down, just like 
I don't know what they're talking about, but like just sitting, whether they're just chatting about the game, whether they're chatting about whatever, I'm not sure, but mm. he's very close to a lot of the players. Um, he brings a pretty good um, attitude every day. Um, you know, I've, I've liked the way that he's tur- been able to turn the page really well from day to day as well. So yeah, I think that they like playing for him. I think he's a good guy to lead this group, but you know, he also is still new at it in the sense of being a major league manager. And so it's, it's not going to be perfect. And this has been a challenging period. And I think maybe as we get further into the season, we can better answer that question. I mean, we've, we've looked at a really, really good month where they're playing, you know, they go 18 and 10 in March and April, and then, you know, they're going to have a losing month in May. And so maybe in June, uh, July, we can kind of better assess like what this team is under him as a manager. One downside, I guess, potential downside coming from this series against Minnesota was a potential injury for Kevin Kiermeyer. Sounds like he feels pretty good. He's confident that he'll be able to play in this series coming up against Milwaukee. But uh, I guess just from an importance level, um, Caitlin, how important uh, Kevin's become to this team and how disappointing, or I guess, frustrating it might be for this team if he was able to or had to miss some time. He really feels like he's been a solid fit all the way through for this Jays team. Yeah, he's been a great outfielder for them. And obviously he's been really good at the plate. Um, you know, he's always talked about how he just wants to be the best number nine hitter in baseball. And honestly, he has been, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, he has been really good in that spot. I think that he's really excelled um, in this lineup where he's just kind of <clears throat> turning it over basically for the top of the lineup. And he's done a really got, good job with that. And yeah, in, in the outfield, you can't say much more about him. I mean, he's, been spectacular for them he's you know uh he's won i don't know three or four gold gloves he's a platinum glover for a reason like he's really good he makes a huge difference in their outfield um he makes the guys around him better and yeah he's a really good um kind of leader for the group too um you know at least one of the leaders for them one guy I wanted to ask you about specifically was Alec Manoa. Uh, we know about his struggles this year. It's been a frustrating start to the season for him, and it just feels like mechanically he's going through it right now. And we know pitchers, you know, when they get to a certain point in the major leagues, have these sort of stints. But I guess is that a level of concern for you with Alec when it comes to getting back to the pitcher that we know he can be and that the Jays are relying on him to be? Well, I mean, there's concern in the sense that he has not been having – um, the season that everybody thought he would have and the issues seem to be kind of recurring in the sense that, you know, the, <clears throat> the shape on his slider hasn't been consistent, hasn't been what it was last year. The command hasn't been there. Um, you know, I know there's been some dips in velocity as well this year, you know, in last game, he was really struggling with, um, I guess his pace a little bit and, you know, taking a long time, but that sort of allowed, uh, the Tampa Bay race to really run on him, you know, which is, was, was an issue. Um, and so, yeah, I think that it's very, it's been a tough season for him. Um, I think the Blue Jays are working through it. I think him, he's working through it. I don't get a sense that there's going to be any sort of drastic moves, at least at this point. Um, you know, I, they've always told us uh, that the work in between has been good. The bullpens in between have been good. You know, he's, he's working on it and, you know, we've seen, brief flashes of him looking good out there. So, you know, it's in there. It's just kind of a matter of maybe stringing a few starts together where he does have that command a little bit sharper. um, And he is getting some of those swings and misses on his slider a little bit more. And so, um, 
you know, it's tough. It's tough when this is happening to a pitcher because it's tough to struggle in the major leagues. It's a very difficult league and you don't have a lot of time and he starts to get things right. And, um, you know, this is really the first time that he struggled at the professional level for a prolonged period. So I'm sure it's frustrating for him, but, you know, I know the Blue Jays are, are working through it and, you know, I guess we'll see how it goes in his next start, which would be tomorrow. Is it kind of a relief for Jays fans that maybe it's gone the opposite of how we thought it would go with this rotation, Caitlin? That I think everybody going into the season was like, yeah, okay, Gosman, Manoa, top-end starters, very consistent guys. But it was kind of towards the back end. We didn't really know what Chris Bassett was going to be in Toronto. We certainly didn't know what Yusei Kikuchi was going to be. Uh, Jose Barrios had a lot of questions, but those guys kind of picked up some slack for Manoa early on, and I think that's probably something Jays fans might not have expected to happen early on with Manoa's struggles. Yeah, I mean, the more good starts you can get from all your starters is a good thing. Um, you know, Barrios uh, in particular has looked really good outside of maybe his first two starts, were, which were a little wobbly, which, you know, maybe you just credit to a little bit of a slow spring. He had a kind of a weird spring because he left to go to the WBC, then comes back. And so, you know, the first two starts, weren't quite as sharp, but ever since then, he's looked great. Um, he really looks like kind of vintage Brios that the Blue Jays traded for a couple of years ago. Um, the guy that came in that 2021 season and, and really uh, helped them down the stretch. So I think he's kind of been the story for me um, of the season, kind of his bounce back. I think a lot was kind of riding on him, not just because of this season, but obviously he signed a pretty long extension to remain in Toronto. And so you kind of bet on this guy to be, uh, help carry your rotation for, you know, a few years to come. And you wanted him to be reliable. You kind of paid him to be that durable, reliable starter that he had been for so many years prior. And so I think it's kind of fair to say now, like that last year was just really an outlier for him because to me, like he looks all the way back, um, at this point in the season. Uh, quickly, before we get away from the pitching, I'm curious. I know it's been out there in some circles that perhaps sending Alc Manoa down to give him some more innings away from the majors makes sense. Where are you on that conversation? Yeah, I, I don't get the sense that that's at least imminent. Um, I think that it's not been brought up, really, um, talking to the manager. Um, and so I think that, you know, Alec Mano has a track record. It would be a pretty drastic measure to do that. This is a guy that was a Cy Young finalist last year. He had a really great rookie season. So he's got, you know, two full seasons under his belt or nearly two full seasons under his belt. Um, You know, I know he didn't didn't, uh, pitch a lot in the minors. Part of that was because of the lost 2020 season with the pandemic. And then, you know, part of that is he came from college. Those guys are a little old, they're older usually. And so they can fly through the systems. It's not uncommon. Um, you know, he was particularly fast, but obviously he pitched a lot in college. And so to have an accelerated route through the minors, isn't totally uncommon. And then obviously with the pandemic kind of threw, threw it for a loop. So he just really didn't have a ton of innings in the minors, but that really hasn't affected him to this point. And so, you know, I understand, um, you getting away from the spotlight and working on things. I, I would think that that would not really be the first move of the team. Like, I think it'd be more likely that you see some sort of IL stint, whether it's, you know, they, you know, if it's like arm fatigue or whatever it may be, right. There's always mm. things that you can do with a pitcher. Um, I think it'd be more likely that we would see an IL stint um, to give him 15 days off to kind of work through things. And then maybe you get like a rehab outing in a minor league or something like that. 
I would think that would be the more desired route. Maybe there's a potential of like just skipping a start of his just to give him a breather if, if he really struggles Again, the issue with the Blue Jays and why it's not something that they're just automatically going to do is that they don't have a ton of depth behind them. I don't know who's making the start if he's not, right? Like, they have to get really creative. You know, there's a few kind of bulk guys that they could call up um, if Manoa couldn't make a start. But it's not, they're not like, you know, a a huge amount of options. Um, And so I think the preferred route is really try to figure it out with him at the major league level. Keelan McGrath along with us talking all things Toronto Blue Jays after a series win against the Minnesota Twins yesterday. Uh, Caitlin, your latest at the Athletic yesterday after this grueling 17-17 and 17 for the Toronto Blue Jays talking about whether it be a, a turning point for their season. I really liked how you put it in there that it, it did feel at times worse than a 7-10 and 10 record for this team. I guess if, if I was a Blue Jays fan, I'd encourage everyone to go read the piece entirely, but if I was a Blue Jays fan, why would I feel confident that this could be a good turning point for the Jays rather than a season slump that we were worried about that it might be? Well, I mean, I guess if you're trying to think optimistically, like kind of almost has to be, right? Like the Blue Jays have dug themselves a pretty substantial hole. Now there's still 108 games left, so it's still a ton of time. We're only in May still, and it is it is still early in the major league season, even though like, you know, I, I think that people kind of grumble when you say that because every game matters and all that kind of stuff, but there is still just a long um, period of time where they still have, you know, games to be played. But I also think that the division around them is really good and they really can't afford another substantial down period because, you know, then they're really going to dig themselves a hole, right? Like they're already 10 and a half games back of the Tampa Bay Rays that's further than their back than they were last year when you know the Yankees got off to a really good start last year as well um against the division they're 6 and 15 I believe so they've basically got to win 20 of their 31 games um against their division just to sort of go 500 against them and that that will matter uh when it comes to playoff seeding if there's any kind of tiebreakers or anything right so i just think that the blue jays um they kind of have to use this as a turning point because I really don't think that they could afford another lengthy period where they're just not playing very well because, you know, at at some point, like the, the, um, the deficit will be too great, right. To catch Mm -hmm. up to the Rays and, and like the Rays are going to slow down at some point, probably. I think every team goes through some slow periods, you know, even the Rays have cooled off, significantly from what they were doing in April and they've had a lot of injuries and stuff. So, um, you know, all the teams in the division are going to probably hit some bumps. Maybe the blue Jays just came first, but the thing with the blue Jays is now they've got to take advantage. So they've got to start winning, um, you know, winning six out of every 10, they play winning every series they, they can. And then they're probably going to need some help around them um, to sort of cut into that, 10 and a half game deficit because they also don't play those teams as much anymore. Right. Like it used to be 19 times. Now it's 13. Um, they've already played the race seven times this year. So, um, you know, they don't have that many more opportunities to, to gain ground on them um, in a, you know, head on situation. And so they just got to start winning. Like, I, I just think that this has to, if this season is going to go anywhere, if they're going to get to where they want to go, which is potentially winning the division, which is still in theory possible, but you know, they're probably going to need to play really, really well and then have some things go their way. And so they really can't afford to, um, you know, have another month where they are 
you know, losing or, you know, losing three or four series in a row. Like it's, it's, that's not how you're going to get to the ultimate goal. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it was one of those ones for the Jays. I think they'd, they'd like to forget, but at the end of the day, not done yet. And like you said, a, a tough division makes it that much more interesting for the Jays down the stretch here. Caitlin, I really appreciate the time as always. You're always so kind uh, to hop on with us. Really liked your piece at the athletic highly recommend everybody go and uh, check out your latest there. Thank you for joining us today. Enjoy the series against Milwaukee and we'll chat with you again sometime soon. Hey. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Thank you. Caitlin McGrath from The Athletic joining us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. She covers the Blue Jays for The Athletic. You can find her on Twitter at Caitlin C. McGrath. Uh, her latest piece uh, on the Blue Jays finishing up a 17-game stretch uh, in 17 days. Now, how are you going to remember a turning point or a bump in the road? Highly recommend uh, if you've got a subscription to The Athletic and you're interested in uh, anything Blue Jays to go read her latest there and you know, get your own view of how you feel about the Jays. Like I said, even me reading Caitlin's piece today kind of took me back because, yeah, I thought it was a worse stretch for the Jays too. And maybe it does feel that way because a lot of these losses were divisional ones. And like Caitlin mentioned, those are so hard to get back at this point in the year because it's a balanced schedule now in the major leagues. You won't see as many of your divisional opponents later on. So you don't have as many opportunities to gain ground back on them. But at the end of the day, it was still just 7-10. and 10. Now, 7-10 and 10 is not where you want to be. This roster gets paid too much money. There's way more expectations than this team to be a three-game uh, below 500 team in 17 games. But if this is the worst stretch or one of the worst stretches they go on throughout the entire year and the rest of it can be positive, then I think we'll look back at this and say, okay, it was just a bump in the road. It wasn't nearly as serious as it felt like at the time. We'll see if that continues. There's going to have to be a lot that changes for this Jays team. Manoa's going to have to find his stuff. Vladdy's going to have to wake up at, at some point here, and I don't know if he can get to the level of where Bo's playing at, but get close to that. Be that you know home run slugger, that power bat that the Jays have needed him to be at previous times. Your only home run in a couple-week stretch can't come off a position player who's in relief of the Tampa Bay Rays. That's just not going to do it for, for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, there's too, uh, too many expectations on him and where he's at in the lineup. It needs to be a consistent production position from him. He has to bring in runs. He has to get contact on the baseball. Just hasn't been doing that enough lately. Uh, like Caitlin mentioned there, the Jays back in action after a much-needed day off today. They will take on the Milwaukee Brewers starting tomorrow. That one, a 5.07 first pitch. Brewers currently sitting... 28 and 25, they're atop of the NL Central. Blue Jays with a very similar record, 28 and 26, but they are fifth in the ALE. So just a quick comparison there of how things are going uh, in different divisions across the major leagues right now. Both teams uh, coming in on one-game winning streaks. Both of them have struggled of late too. Uh, Milwaukee's lost four of six. Toronto uh, four and six in their last ten. Excuse me. Toronto three and seven in their last 10, so we'll see how that one goes. Again, 5.07 first pitch tomorrow. Jays starting off a series at home against the Milwaukee Brewers. We will take a break, come back on the other side. You know CFL regular season is getting closer when the Stamps report is back. You know it, you love it. Matty Rose joins us around the corner to give us the latest at training camp from the Calgary Stampeders. Don't miss it. Your Stamps report is next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960, the fan. We are wrapping up hour two 
here on Sportsnet today. It's Logan Gordon along with you. We're coming to you live from the Doug Lacey's Basin Systems Downtown Studios here in Calgary, Alberta. Cam and Taylor in the other room doing their thing. And you set for a Monday show here. Reminder, we got the Stars and the Golden Knights on your radio later tonight. Game number six. Can the Stars force game seven back in Vegas? We will find out later tonight. You can watch it across the Sportsnet television network or listen right here on Sportsnet 960. The fan, you've also got the Boston Celtics and the Miami Heat. 6.30 tip-off. The Celtics looking to be the first team in NBA history to come back from an 0-3 series deficit and take down the Miami Heat. They're at home. The uh, team up 3-0 in an NBA series has won 150 games in a row. 150-0 and zero is the record, so we could see some major history tonight if the Boston Celtics can take down the Miami Heat. So looking forward to that. Lots of sports on your television tonight. And I uh, wanted to remind you, too, Coming up on Thursday, game two of two for the Stampeders preseason. They're getting set to take on the BC Lions in BC on Thursday. And then all of a sudden, preseason's done. It's over with for the Stamps. And look who's coming to town. It's the BC Lions on Thursday, June 8th. So the Stamps get a double dose of the BC Lions coming up. Uh, You finish off the preseason against them on Thursday. And then next Thursday, you welcome them into McMahon. For a 7 p.m. kickoff to the Calgary Stampeder season. And uh, look, you know we're getting close to stamp season when it's time for another Stamps report. It's another year, another CFL season set to get underway for the Calgary Stampeders. They're in the midst of training camp right now with one preseason game to go. It's time to turn it over to our pal Matty Rose for this Monday edition of the Stamps report. The Calgary Stampeders were back at practice on Monday ahead of their final preseason game Thursday in BC against the Lions. Over the weekend, they held a red and white game, bit of a mock game on what was a beautiful afternoon. More of a look at the offense for the coaching staff and general manager Dave Dickinson than the defense without tackling, but still a good opportunity for the coaching staff to instill some game-like scenarios ahead of their final tune-up game with the Lions. For many players, it will be just that, a tune-up, a chance for veterans to get ready for the upcoming season. For some positions, a starting role may not be cemented. Perhaps Micah Awe has the inside track at linebacker, especially with injuries to Silas Stewart and Perry Young sidelining them during training camp, but the club will still have options. And options look good for for defensive coordinator Brent Monson, especially in a secondary with many returning players. It's a position that was hit hard by injury all season long. Knock on wood, but they look ready and primed for a shutdown season. On the offense, the Canadian receivers continue to be fascinating. At this point, it might not be who will be cut, but how many can they fit on the roster? Luther Hakunavanu looks to be ready to take a big step, while veterans Colton Hunchak and Tyson Middlemost continue to be great examples for CFL rookies Cole Tucker, Ryson John, and Clark Barnes. For players like that, this preseason game on Thursday looks to be the last chance to prove to the coaching staff and new general manager Dave Dickinson that they deserve a chance on the roster or on the practice squad. Quickly turn around and get ready for a regular season game. Yeah, same opponent as well. We're going to uh, try to more teach it like a regular season type of practice schedule. Not kill them, but give them as much information as possible. Go out there and compete. Try to earn a job. Uh, 
goal is still to win. So we'll go out there and, uh, and give it everything we've got. And then obviously that's your last audition to make our team. Obviously tough decisions, but that's, uh, I always tell the guys, control what you can control. Uh, go make my life miserable by making my decisions that much tougher. It will be interesting to watch the deployment of the quarterbacks. Jake Mayer is in his first season as starter for the Stampeders. How much will Dave Dickinson look to play him? The backup role has also become interesting, with former Utah State quarterback Logan Bonner catching some eyes at the red and white game. The return of the imposing Tommy Stevens will be a great third down option for the team. He's also battling for that full-time backup role too. UNC Charlotte's Chris Reynolds is the fourth quarterback in camp, and Dave Dickinson will look to see if he's an option. There's some discussions to go before deciding on how he's going to deploy his quarterbacks Thursday evening. Haven't, yeah, I haven't locked in on a rotation yet. Um, yeah, I definitely think there are some things I got to look at for uh, the two, three, fours. But uh, you know, Jake and I, we have to get together probably after Tuesday's practice and see what we think we need and how he feels and. We are playing the same opponent. He'll be there. It's just a matter of how much and uh, figure out what we can get out of it. Speaking of the number two, three quarterback spots, are they? As for the backfield, also four players still in camp at the tailback position. Returning is Kadeem Carey, the MOP candidate for Calgary in 2022, as are his backups, Diedrich Mills and Peyton Logan, who play different styles but both show that they can carry the mail themselves when needed. The Stampeders also signed Canadian John Giraud in the offseason, or as Coach Dickinson calls him, RJ. His speed and jump has been noticeable going back to rookie camp. All season, we could be asking how the Stamps can possibly try and squeeze three running backs on their roster. Once again, head coach Dave Dickinson, head coach and general manager Dave Dickinson, feeling like both have taken steps in the offseason behind their star, Kadeem Carey. Um, yeah, I think they need more opportunities. I'll throw RJ in there as well. I think he's done well. So um, it's about how your roster is, who's a returner, you know, those type of things. Uh, I guess come into play, uh, but I think probably in my mind, Kadeem won't be getting many carries this week. Those three have to tote the mail and see how they do. 26-year-old Diedrich Mills out of Nebraska. Look out when he gets going downhill. He's 5'10", but listed at just under 230 pounds. Six games in his rookie season. He had 459 yards on the ground and another 105 through the air. Two touchdowns as well, averaging 94 yards total per game. I had a chance to have a quick chat after the practice on Monday. Tell me about a little bit about being in this running back room. Man, this, this running back room was a character. Um, everybody... <laughs> their own person which I love um, everybody brings something different to the table um, and you know we got Kadeem the most more energetic loud person in the room I'm loud but kind of be sleep a little bit because <laughs> you got Peyton just you know he's always looking the same but then when we get on the field he turns his energy turn up a whole different level um, but just all together as a, as a core, the whole running back group, even with the young running backs, Gerard and all them, they doing very good. He's starting to, you know, starting to open up a little bit more with us, you know, and stuff like that. So which I, I, I feel like the room was very, very active and very loud and very vocal. Tell me about being around Jake Mayer this year. Starter, going into camp. How's he been different? He's been very different um, as far as, like, he's trying to stay with Sal Mitzan and focus on his details. Uh, making sure we know what we're doing, um, which we spend a lot of time in the offseason making sure we know what we, we had to come back and do and, and learn. And so we end up um, – but just watching him out here, um, he's been doing pretty good, and I think he's um, 
think he's just going to be that guy for us this year. And if Diedrich Mills is the Thunder, Peyton Logan is the Lightning. 24 years old out of Tennessee Martin, 5'8", just under 200 pounds. The Stampeders nominee for most outstanding rookie last season. In 16 games, he had 557 rushing and receiving yards. Three touchdowns as well. His real magic came in the return game where he averaged over 10 yards a punt return and almost 25 on kick returns. He also returned a field goal for a touchdown, a kickoff for a touchdown, and he had a punt touchdown called off for a late block in the back that didn't really affect the play. We'll see if he can actually get the cycle this year. I caught up with Memphis, Tennessee's Peyton Logan after Monday's camp. We're waiting for Kadeem Carey's hogging the spotlight, man. What's that he like being around Kadeem? <sighs> He's a happy-go-lucky fellow. I love Kadeem. I love hanging around Kadeem. He's, he just a vibe to be around. Man, tell me about, like, he's such a family guy, and that seems to be really important. I know that's important to you. Like, I remember talking to you last rookie camp, and you were like, man, I want to come to Calgary move my family here eventually. Like, that's got to mean a lot to you and got to kind of reflect to you a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I love that he's a family guy because, like you said, I'm a big family guy as well. So we get along well. We try to help each other the best we can, not just me and him, the whole running back group. So we're just a big, happy family. How much have you grown in the offseason, personally? Personally? Uh, I think I became way more mature. mature. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to be more detailed in everything that I do and just try new things. Mm-hmm. Helping out in the return game again this year? Looking like oh, it maybe? Of course, of course. I'm trying to help out. If they need me to play center, I'll play center. When talking to Logan and to Mills, you can tell that Kadeem Carey has been an outstanding leader for both of them in their year-and-a-bit time with the Stampeders. He's obviously a big part of the leadership group of this team, but they've lost some key veterans too. Bo Levi Mitchell and Jameer Thurman are both in Hamilton. Kamar Jordan and Sean Lemon have both moved on. But the seemingly large void was quickly filled, as Dave Dickinson talked about after Monday's session. Yeah, i actually been happy with where we're at uh, leadership-wise. So it's really on the players, though. I, I don't need to be involved in that. They have to take the, the onus. They have to run the show. They have to decide the standards. And, and obviously I can help them. But uh, I haven't had to because I, I thought they've done a great job. Is that something that you maybe, I don't know, trepidation like going into the season? Because like you mentioned, like there's not much you can do per se. You, you have to leave it up to the players, and you're not really sure what you're going to get going into a camp with some guys leaving. Um, yeah, but I knew I had good people. I know I've got leaders here. Yeah, find your voice, though. And unfortunately, you got to play to find your voice. So, like, sometimes... You know, we can limit the guy's leadership qualities if we don't put him in the position to be, I would consider, a guy that uh, can be a strong voice. So just be yourself, uh, but, but be ready to back up what you're saying with the actions, and that, that's usually how it works out well. Good. For Stampeders fans, maybe not a sigh of relief. Being around the players, you'll see how high the team prioritizes good character individuals. Nevertheless, a welcome thought from the head coach. Camp's final pre-game practice day is Tuesday. They'll have a morning session, then travel to BC Wednesday. They'll battle the Lions at 8.30 Thursday night. That game will be available for free via the CFL. We'll be able to stream that. As you heard the head coach mention during the interview, might not want to show too much as they do battle those very same Lions the following Thursday in week one of the season at McMahon Stadium. With your Stampeders report, I'm Matt Rose. Thank you, Matty. It's the return of the Stamps report again for this upcoming season. Really looking forward to it. The Stampeders and the BC Lions close out their preseason on Thursday, as Matty mentioned, and then back at it again at McMahon Stadium. This is where the CFL scheduling gets a bit wacky. I feel for Dave Dickinson 
and the Calgary Stampeders in that sense of you're trying to get guys ready, you're trying to implement things for the regular season. How much of that can you do when your week one opponent is the same opponent that you're seeing a week before in BC? So a bit of a challenging workaround for Dave Dickinson and the Calgary Stampeders as they play BC this week to end off the preseason and then they kick off the regular season, the entire CFL season, Thursday, June 8th at McMahon Stadium. Very intriguing Calgary Stampeders group this year. You heard it from Maddie there. You'll continue to hear it all season long. The veterans that lost, that left this group, Bo Levi Mitchell, Jameer Thurman, Sean Lemon, Kamar Jordan, um, the list goes on and on for this team. Who's going to step up? We know that talent-wise, there's been very few combos in the CFL over the past, what, decade plus? As good at bringing in new talent as John Huffnagel and Dave Dickinson have been. But that talent also has to step up and, in this case, step up and take some major leadership roles. There are still great leaders on this team. I don't want to discount any of the guys that are still on this team or that Jake Mayer can't come in and be a leader, but they're being asked to do more this season, some of those guys, than they ever have been before. But that's where you're going to lean on the the Trey Robersons of the world, of the world for sure. Kadeem Carey is going to be a guy that means a lot. Reggie Bagleton, some of those guys that have been around, have that Stampeders mentality to them, and they're going to be very important. And I think it's also a huge reason why this offseason saw the return of two Stampeder greats to the coaching staff and Juwan Simpson and, and Nick Lewis to help sort of continue to impress that Stampeders mentality on the new guys and to help them along in a transitional role. Stampeders, I think, can be as competitive as anybody in the West if it can all come together, but it all starts, like we mentioned, Thursday, June 8th, BC in Calgary for Game 1 of the CFL season. That week also features Hamilton at Winnipeg. That should be a good one. You've got Ottawa taking on Montreal on Saturday, and it all ends off week one of the CFL season's next Sunday, June 11th. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders in Edmonton to take on the Elks. Can the Elks finally win a game at home? We will uh, wait and see. Very excited for the CFL season to get back. And thank you again to Matty Rose for today's edition of the Stamps Report. Keep it locked. Here on Sportsnet today, we'll bring you uh, the Stamps Report as often as we can here as we get set for another great CFL season. Quick reminder as we finish things off here on the hour, uh, some great sporting uh, events. Sporting events, Cameron. Sporting. Uh, sometimes you just can't talk. Uh, some good uh, sports for you on the television tonight or on your radios. Watch history get made tonight. Yeah, potentially two similar situations. Dallas looking to come back and force game seven after being down 3-0 in their series against Vegas. And the Boston Celtics looking to uh, make history in the NBA. Game seven of the Eastern Conference Final against the Miami Heat. No team in NBA history, has ever erased a 3-0 series deficit. The uh, team up 3-0 is a cool 150-0. and It's not a bad record. Not once have you ever. You don't want to be the first team. Miami. Don't get me wrong. I've been hearing has already bought their tickets to Denver. So they're well, feeling see, no, confident. Okay, so no, this is one of those things where this is where... <laughs> This is where the media is changing things around. I know on it's you. a logistics thing. Exactly. It's a lot easier to change the that's, flight. That's the thing is you can always cancel a flight, 
but all of, all of a sudden you've missed a flight to Denver. This is kind of funny. Then you're kind of screwed, right? But if you're the Boston Celtics, you're going, <laughs> screw them. Yeah. They think they're going to Denver. <laughs> we're going to Denver. We're going to go right? meet. They think that Mr. we're done. Nikola Jokic. They think that we're done, but they're they're already planning. Oh, yeah. Right? And you're the team secretary. And you're like, well, I have to. I really. We got to pick up one of them. There's a lot of you, and we have to travel together. Travel, bags. Or figure this thing out. I, gotta, I have to do this. You got to pick someone. But now the media has gotten a hold of it, and they go, look, they are counting Boston out. I mean, it's a good mentality to have, and it's the one you should have. The I don't Celtics blame them. have tickets too, people. <laughs> don't don't get it twisted. There are two chartered flights ready to go to Denver don't, tonight. Don't make it sound as though the Miami Heat are the only. I love that. One They're pilot is my favorite in sports. It's just like the, they can't possibly do it for logistics reasons. It's clearly because it's clearly a message. So confident <laughs> that they're going to win tonight. It has nothing to do with the fact that they're. Waiting to start the next series. You're going to have one very upset pilot tonight, and one pilot is like, on schedule. Just never ceases to amaze me how those things get turned around on teams. <laughs> I feel bad for them. I don't, like, I don't have really have a horse in the race. I'm not a huge, you know, we don't talk a lot of basketball here. I don't, it'd be cool, I think, for Boston to come back and win it. Just to have the history on the line, right? For sure. But I'm not like... I'm not saying, wow, if I'm Boston, am I offended right now? Yeah. That they have bought their tickets and they're trying to plan for a series that they might actually be going to? How dare they? <laughs> yeah, I'm torn too. There's a lot. I'm a big I'm a big Kyle Lowry fan, so him on the I'm kinda I'm kinda rooting for him, but you know, Celtics seeing history get made tonight, that might not be ever done again. So we'll see what happens. Uh and look at all this NBA news that we're bringing you here on Sportsnet today. Just it's just pouring in, bringing it in. Two look at the two NBA things we talked about today. Um, <laughs> we're really going we're crazy really going, on basketball. We're going crazy on the the orange basketball. Uh, <laughs> Nick Nurse has reached an agreement to become the next head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers. Oh, I like it. He has uh, won an NBA championship and a Coach of the Year award with Toronto, and now gets to coach the 2023 NBA MVP. In Joel Embiid. So Nick Nurse, not unemployed for long after leaving the Toronto Raptors or being let go by the Toronto Raptors, I should say. Uh, he now joins another Eastern powerhouse in uh, in Philadelphia who's looking to get to the heights there. And you'll remember Joel Embiid with his hands cast upon his face after uh, Kawhi Leonard hit that Certain buzzer beater. Buzzer beater a few years back, and uh, I remember where I was. Crying. He was so sad. He's so mad. Did you watch that? Do you remember where where you were? Yeah, I was out at a, a local uh, watering hole watching it. A watering hole, very nice. Um, Do you have your your lure crazy. cast and everything? No, <laughs> I did not. Catching some fish? No, did not. <laughs> um, I gotta find that bar, yeah. one that has the fish hole. In it. Interesting one. <laughs> um. Yeah, I do remember where I was actually for that. I think I was sitting in the Earls that's attached to Chinook. And we watched the shot go in and the entire restaurant kind of... I wonder if it's an Earls, is it? Isn't it an Earl? Was it an Earl? It's a Joey's, isn't it? A Joey's, yeah. And everyone kind of looked and saw what was going on. I'm not going to say, you know, the entire place started jumping, but there were certainly some hoots and some hollers going on in an established restaurant like Joey's. 
I like a good Joey's. Joey's is good. I'm a fan. Good it's a stop. bit pricey, but good for a date night. You've got cash. You even shouldn't be worried. <laughs> AM radio just pays the bills. So <laughs> your car's got new rims and true. It's it does. Washed, right? so it looks great. Yeah, I'm sure it does. In the shop right yeah. now. Yeah. On the lift of the shop, right there. <laughs> yeah. It's never look. Yep. It's never, never, look, never not in always, the shop. Always shiny in the in the jack. No. Oof. Too bad. Brutal. Uh, quickly before we get out of here, Taylor does. Dallas Force Game 7, yes or no? Um, I have no idea. That's, uh, it's, it kind of comes down yes to... Yes or no question. It comes down to Jake Ottinger and if he has broken his little funk that he's in. Yes or no? Mm, yes I don't know. No. Nope, I don't know. It's not an option. Yes or no? Don't do this to me right More now. More hockey, bonus hockey, yes. Okay, in there. Uh, Cam, yes or no? I'm going no. I think the curse is uh, re-manifested back onto Otter. I don't think he does it. I think Dallas is not going to have the stops tonight. I think Vegas takes it tonight. Uh, I'm going to say no. I don't think we get a game seven. Uh, only because uh, jerk face Jamie Ben. I would uh, like the irony of him being in for... All four games that they lost and not being in for the two games that they won. That's what you get for cross-checking somebody in the face. That's what you get for using Mark Stone's neck as a landing spot. I would find it so funny. I don't know. I just landed there. Just his face was in the really way wish of my I, stick. I didn't fall on his neck. <laughs> okay. But, like, question. Right, if you were relax. Peter DeBoer, would you scratch Jamie Ben tonight? You can't. He's your captain. I know this. I understand. I get that they're two and zero, but you can't. You will ruin your relationship with that. I mean, how bad do you think Jamie Ben wants to play tonight? He definitely thought his series was the entire season was over. I get it. I know what you're thinking, Tay. It's not. It's not crazy, but I honestly, I think you'd ruin the relationship. Like, Some relationships are meant to be broken. I think Jamie Ben would freak out. He might even cross-check him in the face. <laughs> or watch your neck. Kidding. Just kidding. Jamie, don't, don't hurt me. Um, he's, he wants to get in. There's, if it, maybe if he wasn't the captain, you could have that conversation. But I just don't think, knowing the other times that he's been important to them, that you can do that. I think he's, he's in the lineup tonight for sure. We'll find out. Again, 6 o'clock start right here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Or you can watch it across the Sportsnet television Network. Thank you to uh, Maddie Rose for another edition of the Stamps Report. Thank you to Caitlin McGrath of The Athletic for joining us. Thank you for listening, whether live or on the podcast. And shout out to my outstanding producers, Cam and Taylor, for another great day of work. We'll be back tomorrow for a Tuesday edition of the show. Same time, same place. Have a great Monday. Go out and vote. Important day in our province. We'll talk to you tomorrow here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.